chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we continue to walk step in step with Jesus through the gospel of Mark. And we have seen a number of steps Jesus has taken to this point. Uh, We see a number of steps that he takes in this chapter as well uh, that we can imitate. Uh, Verses 7 through 13 Uh, We can be a source of truth to those who are living according to false beliefs. Uh, Verses 14 through 23, we can be a source of maturity to spiritual babes in Christ. And then verses 24 through 37, we can be a source of joy to those in sorrow and need. Again, a lot of steps that Jesus takes uh, are are evident in Mark's gospel, and uh, we have been really focusing on one particular step each chapter. And here in verses 1 through 23 of Mark 7, we're going to be focusing this morning on how Jesus steps into the heart, uh, even our own hearts. Let's read our text for this morning. Mark 7, beginning in verse 1. Now, When the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing the cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then it is no longer then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, Come evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. 
Let us pray. Father God, as we look at the life of Christ and see this big step that he takes into our hearts, we pray that our hearts are ready to receive his instruction. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Mark 7 is a significant chapter in Mark's gospel. It is a shift. Jesus is now entering into a stage of open confrontation. Mark's been building to this as we've gone along. It started off as quiet questioning just among themselves, which Jesus knew even then. It then progressed to where the Pharisees, the scribes, the opponents of Christ are questioning his disciples, and they start to ask him questions. And now, again, open confrontation. They're going heads up, and Jesus is very much pointing out, again, their hypocrisy. You heard it when we read it, right? You hypocrites. Very bold in this. Jesus is confronting their traditions. And Mark 7 is the point of no return for Jesus. Luke, as he records uh, in his gospel, Jesus will resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. Luke 9, verse 51. That's where we are in Mark's gospel. This is the turning point where Jesus will continue on a path that inexorably leads him to Jerusalem. And it will culminate in the triumphal entry which is recorded for us in Mark chapter 11 in the parallel passages in Matthew 21 and Luke 19. <coughs> and, of course, all of it culminating in his death on the cross. Now, not only is Mark 7 a significant turning point in regards to the open confrontation that Jesus has with the religious leaders of his day, it's also a theologically heavy chapter. It draws very clear lines that distinguish Judaism from Christianity, and apparently, you know, the, the, the church in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 9 and 23, the church was simply called the way, but apparently they weren't the only way that was out there, or, or so self-styled. Indeed, the uh, scribes, the teachers of the law, they believed they had the way as well. In fact, they had a term for it, halacha. And it, was, it meant way. And what it meant was they had their pronouncements that were the normal way in which they did things. They were regulative in terms of life and practice and doctrine. This was their collection of all of their supplemental laws that they had uh, developed that they believed were rooted in the law of Moses. It went along with scriptural law and, as we see here, had become even a law unto itself. So what Jesus is doing is he is going heads up with his way against their way. Wonder who's going to win, right? So you have, and again, how does Jesus identify himself in, say, the Gospel of John? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so you have the way embodied in Christ, going up against their way. You have the truth, again embodied in Christ, going up against their falsehood, their lies, their hypocrisy. You have Jesus who is holy, and he is pointing out that what they are doing is actually common and, and unholy. It is 
a very clear demarcation between right and wrong. As Jesus steps into the heart, he focuses on spiritual cleanliness, which is what the Jewish leaders were very much about. However, Jesus points out, first of all, that spiritual cleanliness is not a matter of clean hands. That's verses 1 through 13. The Pharisees, it begins here, they critique the actions of Jesus and his disciples based on their view that if you have unclean, defiled hands, as we saw there, if you have unclean hands, then that is equated with spiritual impurity. And so Jesus is going to educate them concerning the truth about true spiritual purity and spiritual impurity. Bottom line is, it's not an external thing. You get that very strong theme throughout these verses. That spiritual cleanliness is not an external thing. And the Pharisees' traditions have become this verification of whether they are clean or holy or pure. Wash your hands and the certain way that's prescribed, again, according to their way, well, then you are clean, you are pure, and you are holy. There's a very serious problem with this understanding. And that is that the traditions, again, they place emphasis on the external. What is physical? And they've taken their eyes off of what is spiritual. A person could essentially be full of all kinds of spiritual impurity within themselves. Oh, I don't know, things like coveting and lust and adultery in the heart and and all these things. But as long as they're practicing the externals, ah, they must be pure and they must be clean. They must be holy. And so Jesus is showing actually spiritual cleanliness, not a matter of clean hands. Further, verses 14 through 23, spiritual cleanliness is not a matter of clean food. The external, again, is not what matters. What matters is the heart. And so he has this conversation about how food, it it goes in the stomach, not into the heart. Defilement is the result of what is within. Look again at verse 20. What comes out of a person? That is, it began within. It started within them. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Again, it's not an external issue. This is an internal issue. We're not looking for the external verification by washing our hands. We're looking for internal purification and internal spiritual cleanliness. Purity of heart. Something that was at the heart of what Jesus taught, say, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, as Jesus said there. Yes, purity of heart. That is what spiritual cleanliness is all about. Look again. Verses 18 and 19. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And so he declared, All foods clean. All the tradition keeping in the world cannot provide spiritual cleanliness. And so when the heart is pure, then the worshiper is honoring God. Our actions have definitely got to be pleasing to God. They must be. But we don't act because of tradition. Rather, we act because we have the Spirit within us who is enabling us to obey God's will. 
it does, it's interesting. What, what you have here a tradition that had developed over time, that the, the tradition of Corbin, where they were devoting certain things to God, and, and yet it had become this twisted thing. Maybe causes you to think, well, how, how do you get to a place like this? How do you get to a place where a, a tradition supersedes God's word and has taken the place of God's word? God's word has been relegated to a secondary or maybe even a tertiary place, and the primary thing is the tradition. Well, how do you get there? Well, it's, it's a few-step process. Think with me for a moment. Let's do a little thought experiment here. How, how, do, you, how do you make a tradition? How does a tradition come about, and then you end up in a place like where the Pharisees and the scribes are? I, I think it starts from a good place. I don't think the tradition started off twisted to begin with. But, uh, you know, we, for example, we have in Scripture, we have commands that we are to encourage one another. Yes? Encourage one another. And so maybe, maybe a group gets together and they say, you know, we, we want to follow this. We want to obey God. We want to encourage one another. How would we do that? And maybe several ideas are kicked around and thrown out. And, and then maybe somebody makes a suggestion like, why don't we, why don't we, Write cards of encouragement to one another. Ah, yes, card writing. That's a, that's a good way that, you know, we can, we can encourage one another through this card writing uh, ministry. It's just a simple suggestion. A- and in and of itself, not a bad thing. We're supposed to encourage one another. Card writing can be a good way to do that. But then what happens is maybe that suggestion, the next step is it becomes a teaching. The suggestion becomes a teaching. What does it sound like? Maybe people begin to go around and they say, you know, if, if you're going to encourage people, you will write cards. It becomes a teaching. You will write cards if you're going to encourage people. And then the next step is taken, and, and now that that teaching now becomes a command. As if the card writing itself had been handed down from on high from Mount Sinai. Like there's, there's authority in back of that teaching of card writing. What does it sound like? You must write encouragement cards. Brothers and sisters, you got to do it. You must write these encouragement cards. And then guess what happens? Well, now that you've made this command, you take the next step, and now it becomes a standard of judgment that you are now holding other people accountable to. You know, if <laughs> I don't know about the rest of y'all, but you are not faithful. You are not a faithful Christian if you aren't writing these encouragement cards. Maybe we start, again, it's the standard of judgment. Monty, how many encouragement cards did you write this week? Not five? Oh, that's not very many. Uh, that's not very uh, Ramona, how many encouragement cards you? Oh, sister, we, you, we got a lot to live up to with you. And now it becomes the standard of judgment that we're holding. You need to get busy writing these encouragement cards, and maybe we pound the pulpit some, right? The, the commandment has become the standard of judgment, and, and now our tradition has superseded God's word. You're not right with God if you don't write encouragement cards. You're not right with them. What has happened is, and, and hopefully you see what has happened is faith has gone from being in God to being in ourselves and how good and capable we are at writing encouragement cards and 
And whether you know, some of you are falling down on the job, you really got to get after it. One thing to notice here is when Jesus comes on the scene here and he says, he, he points out about the Corbin, he never says, stop the tradition. Very interesting. He doesn't say stop. What he does is he calls a timeout and he says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> you do realize this is only a tradition. That's all it is. It is not God's word. You may have made it that way. You may have set aside the commandment of God for the traditions of men. At the end of the day, though, this is just a tradition. Corbin's a good thing. We ought to devote things to God. Devote those gifts to God. But if Corbin is robbing us of honoring father and mother, well, then we've got the wrong focus. You, that 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 thing that maybe started off as a good thing, it's become twisted and distorted and just flat wrong. It's got the wrong perspective. You are setting aside and even dishonoring God's word. Exodus 20 and verse 12, honor your father and mother. That's God's word, and you've dishonored it. The tradition, again, Corbin, has become higher than God's word. So we see... Again, Jesus, this is, this is standard for what Jesus does, of, of seeking to provide a clear perspective on the will of God. And he does it for those in his day. They don't want it. They, it only angers them. They dig their heels in. They double down on their hypocrisy. And they're going to seek to uh, kill him for it. What's our response? What's our reaction to this? What should our steps be as we follow step in step with Jesus? God is communicating to us through the life and ministry of Christ here in Mark chapter 7 that spiritual cleanliness is a heart issue. It has to do with our hearts, not the muscle, you understand, but our heart, the, the, the core and the center of our will and our nature and, and who we are. And so since, it's, since spiritual cleanliness is a heart issue, we must have a heart for honoring God. We must have a heart that seeks to honor God. Are, are there traditions in Christianity that we're supposed to keep? Absolutely. In fact, if you look at uh, just briefly in 1 Corinthians, Paul in chapter 11 and verse 2 talks about maintaining traditions. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 2, Now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. And then verse 23, notice again just the, the tradition language, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This is tradition language here. And then he goes on to talk about the Lord's Supper, does the same thing in chapter 15 and verse 3 about the gospel received and delivered. So yes, there are traditions uh, in Christianity. We're supposed to hold on to those, maintain those traditions. But again, they're not for the purpose of appearing clean. But rather, when we hold to these traditions, we are pleasing God. We are honoring His Word. Our heart is set on honoring God. And so, as a result of 
having been cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ and by His blood, having been set apart, made holy and pure by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, now we aim to honor our Father in heaven with our lives by holding to these traditions that He has handed down and given to us. Again, that's the heart that seeks to honor God. Not again to be seen by people, but knowing that He sees our hearts. So we need a heart for honoring God. And then at the same time, I believe there's a caution here. We see the what, what the Pharisees have done, what the scribes have done. And it is a cautionary tale. We need to be careful that our religious acts don't simply become acts in and of themselves. It is good. It is right to test our actions and to test our motivations. We are told that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we present our lives, our bodies to God as living sacrifices. But it's for the purpose of testing God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are to test even ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. So, again, it is a good thing to test ourselves to make sure that our actions are products of our hearts, which are intent on honoring God and not doing the works just to be doing the works in themselves or certainly not to be doing them in a prideful, arrogant way so that other people would see us. The question we must constantly be asking is, am I, am I truly seeking to honor God in what I am doing? Will this honor God, or is it going to honor me or people or what have you? Is it right? Is, is my heart right in doing this? These are good questions to ask if we would walk step in step with Christ. And as I think about and as I reflect upon some of the things that we do externally, I think it's good to evaluate these things and evaluate right where you are right now your own heart as you do them. You know, just a few moments ago we were singing. What is singing? It is an external act. We, we praise God with our lips. But listen, praising God with our lips does not necessarily equate to exalting God in our hearts. Where's your heart as you're singing? I think about our prayers. We've been led in some prayers uh, this morning. You have your own prayer life on your own. And I know, uh, you know, the, don't have anything against the form prayers in and of themselves. I've incorporated some of those into my own prayer life. But just saying the words or thinking the words, that does not equate with believing the words and believing God that he will truly answer our prayers. few minutes we'll be communing together with one another we'll gather around the table of our lord and we'll take the small piece of bread and we'll drink the uh, fruit of the vine that has been provided for us but i think we understand you you can show up and you can fill the pew and eat the emblems but that that partaking does not equate with remembrance 
Do this in remembrance of me. Where's your heart while you're eating? How about Bible study? Yeah, re- reading, our, reading our Bibles, studying our Bibles. It's a good thing. We are called to hear the Word of God. But listening, hearing does not necessarily equate with doing In fact, we're told not to be simply hearers of the word. Do what it says. Where's your heart as you're reading and studying the scriptures? How about church attendance? Certainly supposed to gather together with the saints, meet together with the saints. But attending, filling a pew does not equate with encouraging one another. (laughs) And that's, that's what we do as we gather together we're we're supposed to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching hebrews chapter 10 tells us how about doing good deeds the actions that we engage in you know acting gracious and, and doing good deeds that does not necessarily equate to love and indeed love is the greatest of these it is love which ought to motivate our good deeds where's your heart Where's your heart in all of these things? Again, only you can answer this in your own heart of hearts. Only you can answer. Where is my heart when it comes to singing and and praying and communing with one another and with the Lord? Where's my heart when it comes to reading and studying Scripture and and coming together for attending? Uh, And and by the way, that applies to those of you online as well, right? It's it's more than just flipping on a screen, okay? Uh, Or or doing good deeds. Where's my heart in all of this? Hearts that are producing good and godly fruit that will give us and others around us insight into the heart that is within. Our steps, as as the steps of Christ, they must be taken according to a pure heart. They must be motivated by a deep desire to please our Father in heaven. We need to be testing and approving God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. And we must not be deceived into thinking that keeping traditions can be equated with spiritual cleanliness. That simply because I'm checking the box or going through the motions that I'm spiritually clean. No. And we also must not be deceived into thinking, on the other hand, that ungodly actions aren't indications of spiritual impurity. And boy, that's a sermon in itself right there. But cleanliness, as as Jesus is prescribing it here, it is founded exclusively in a heart of faith. Faith in God. And faith in the cleansing power of the blood of Christ in our hearts. Christianity has never been simply a, a checklist. A checklist religion. I showed up. Well, I sang. Well, I I ate the Lord's Supper. It's not a checklist of things to be done. That's if that has been your thinking about Christianity and your Christian walk, brother, sister, repent. It can become that, but it shouldn't. Our walk is based upon having a heart to please God. A heart that desires to honor God and 
And we're always in a, in a constant state of discerning the will of God for our life on a day-to-day, perhaps even a moment-by-moment basis, and then acting in a manner that is pleasing to our Father. It comes by prayer. In prayer, we, we renew our focus. But again, prayer that truly has a heart to honor God, not simply say the words or think the thoughts. And again, it's rooted in faith, not in ourselves, but faith in God. Faith that God, when we set our minds on things above as we ought to, and we have placed ourselves in the proper place so that God can transform us and conform us more and more to the image and likeness of Christ. Let's commit these things to prayer.